ladies and gentlemen, it's not Monday anymore, but I do want to talk about Monday. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Mondays. I w- I will say that. I'm very much like Garfield in that sense, but Monday was a was a pretty big day, right, Rian? Monday. Oh yeah, yeah. It was my birthday. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, you really forgot. Yeah. Wow. I'm right. gonna be honest. I sat there as you were saying all that. I was like, oh, what what happened with him? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Monday was Monday was my birthday. Um, yeah. Happy belated birthday. Even though I, I mean, I celebrated with you, but happy belated birthday in a way. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now it was. Uh, How are you feeling now that you're uh, you're the big two three? I'm feeling I'm, I'm feeling not much different really but uh it was kind of weird having it the birthday on a Monday uh for obvious reasons being at <laughs> being at work the entire time yeah um, it is it is not the greatest day to have a birthday I'll say that right of course but you know luckily we got to celebrate um on Friday so the Friday before so that was nice um that was lovely lovely Lovely, uh, if anyone get to see um, Rian's dance moves in person, I highly recommend that you record it because you may never see it again. But it's it's truly a sight to behold. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're one of my close friends, you will get to see it again. So, so, <laughs> so no need no need to uh, videotape any of it. Actually, <laughs> actually, nice actually I would tell you to sure. delete it right now if you have if you, if you do have any. <laughs> Oh my god. No, I um I kept my own um and, and certainly made it public. So um if you want that video, just let me know to all of our listeners. But with that, um we've uh we've been kinda off the air for I, I wouldn't want to say a while, but it's it's definitely been a minute. It's been almost two weeks again. So last week I was away at work and we were trying to um to record, but I don't yeah. Rihanna, I actually don't even know if I told you this, but one of the reasons why I couldn't record last week was, and I'm being 100% serious when I say this, my room in the place that I was staying at last week for work was genuinely haunted. Like, it, it, I actually had my very first ever supernatural experience, and it was very freaky, among other things at work, but it was very weird. So I, I personally apologize to everyone for not being able to record, but I'm, I'm happy to be back in my own room. Um, and very far away from that. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I think you may have mentioned that to me. I, I, I just probably either, um, completely ignored you or didn't believe <laughs> you or didn't believe you were telling the truth. Uh, haunted? Like I'd, how did you know it was haunted is really the question. Here. I mean, yeah, no. So if you look up, um, the Terrytown House Estate on Google and specifically on TripAdvisor, and just search "ghosts supernatural" something like that. Um, you'll you'll see exactly what I mean. What I mean. I I don't know the exact details because I got too freaked out reading through that article. But yeah, it was it was not a fun week. I got very little sleep the entire week, so it was um, it was one of those weeks that I needed I needed off at the end of the day. But. Um, yeah, I came back for the weekend, obviously saw Rion on Friday, but I spent the rest of the weekend trying to relax, um, and, and get some sleep. So, uh, yeah, I would highly recommend the Terrytown house state as a, a great place to, to spend the day. Um, it's amazing food, amazing residence, but, um, yeah, the, the rooms kind of freaked me out. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. We can, we can talk about other things. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna prod on there, but I don't want to, want you to relive any traumatic experience you might have had in your hotel room <laughs> that I assume you, where you by yourself 
your room. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. That's what made it 10 times worse. So yeah. Would, uh, I, I'm not a believer in ghosts or anything, but that was not a pleasant experience for sure. So, um, but there, <laughs> there, there are a couple of things that kept me through going through that week. And one of them was the thought of, you know, seeing my beloved Barcelona being knocked out of the Copa del Rey in, uh, the last minutes as they, Tend to have been uh, been doing in the last couple of years, but you know, that's I guess the norm for me now. Yeah, well, you know, I, the norm is that you rely on one player. One player does all of the um, scoring, and as we saw this past weekend, does all the assisting too. So, um, <laughs> no, you're right. This is this has just been what it's been for the last what eighteen months. But hey, at least you finally got Suarez out the team, right? Hey, you okay? Let let me start off real quick. Um, yes, that to me is a net positive in some ways, um, but of course you lose the goals in Suarez. But let's let, let me let me go back to two weekends ago at Mestalla, um, a place that Chelsea knows very well as well knows very well. But okay, excuse me. You go to Mestalla, you're Kike Setien, right? You're faced with an enormous amount of pressure. Right. You on almost what seems like a weekly basis, you're on the border of a crisis. And so what, what is your plan? Right. You go to Mestalla with a, a clear, defined strategy of how to play, how to win and how to move the ball around, which to me as a fan seems great. I'm a big fan of that. You know, Mestalla after playing possibly one of the best games of the season, which seemingly has been the theme over the last month. Uh, essentially, since Kike Setien has been hired. And so, Vian, you can even quote me on this, or not quote me, but back me up here. I sent you the expected goals for this game, right? I sent you what both teams were. Do you know off the top of your head what uh, what the expected goals were? Um, not off the top of my head. I'd have to look through my actual text messages here. I, I could see you were kind of placating towards you know, what I like to look at. I, I could, I, that's how I knew that you were really behind the eight ball there. Cause you were sending me <laughs> an expected goals chart. So that's how I knew that you yeah. were really under pressure. You were really feeling the pressure. <laughs> you were already starting to doubt your life decisions there. But while I look, um, no, I have the, I have, you didn't, I don't know if you sent me the, you know, one, actually, I, ha- I have the Bilbao one. If that that one will yeah. make you happy, <laughs> but no, we can, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get. Don't worry, we'll get to that. Um, but okay, I, I will say that the Valencia game wasn't the best game of the season, right? We obviously lost two nil, and we played well, but it it wasn't amazing for large stretches of that game. Valencia certainly dominated phases of it, um, so I have to give them credit for that. But you go home after that, and after a what I guess honestly wasn't a great performance. You have your best player, Leo Messi in a bus stop, essentially with Eric Abidal, former legend of the club. Um, now he's not, I don't even think he's a sporting director. I think officially he's a technical director um, yeah. with this board. Cancer survivor um, too. Two time cancer survivor. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. So Messi, Messi hates, Cancer survivors. I just start that <laughs> oh now. God. Messi hates cancer survivor. 
Interesting. Wow, you're you're doing wonders for our podcast dude. right now. Interesting. Um, are you done? Can I can I explain it? I, mean, I, wanna... I personally hate cancer, but I can't prove that Messi does think the same. So <laughs> right. and he didn't help his case this last couple of weeks going after a man who beat cancer. I'm just going to move on. I don't have a response to that. I have no justified response to you going you, – you're like the Daily Mail. You're the equivalent of our version of the Daily Mail. I want you to know that. Okay, but you can't prove that Messi doesn't love cancer. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, this right here feels like what cancer must feel like when it starts to grow and seep into your entire body as you hear Rion talk on a regular basis. That's that's what it must feel like. Anyway, Mexican and Abidal get into this public display of, of what seems to be a battle after Abidal comes out in an interview. And essentially, long story short, in a way, pins the most recent – you know, losses and um, mental fatigue in the last year or two as well on the players. And Messi came out very publicly on his Instagram um, and called him out and said, you know, if you're going to say these things, say who the players are, right? We don't just take these things lightly, which is a a very fair point as well. Um, And I'm not sure why Abidal was quite frankly saying a lot of these things um, and calling out his own squad uh, because that was never going to end well in the first place. But the, the weird part was that it was it was resolved in like a day, right? Like there's this whole, oh, is Messi going to renew his contract? Is he finally fed up with Barcelona? Is he ready to leave? I think he's personally been fed up with this board for years, right? Which is one of the many reasons that makes him so incredibly great is that he's stuck through this seemingly impossible period of terrible club management. And all of this stuff like, oh, is he going to leave? Is Abidal going to leave? Abidal ends up staying. Messi will, in my opinion, likely end up staying through the next one and a half to two years, right, before I think he he truly starts to consider his next options. And then a day later, it was like, oh, yeah, we have the, you know, the game against Bilbao on, what was it, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, so, yeah, we're going to focus on that. And it was like, it was like, I don't want to say it was like nothing, but it was like a peak for like 24 hours and then a a drop right down. And to me, I think that is the epitome of this, this club right now, just absolutely ridiculous outlandish claims in the media and the news, not to say some of it's, you know, not justified. I think in some ways it certainly is, but all of this hoopla and then 24 hours, 48 hours later, it's, normal like it's fine I, I don't know it was a whole very weird experience to me yeah i mean it was i don't know i we know that we've been talking i feel like about the turmoil in the barcelona board i i don't and not just the board but obviously between their best player and the board they're in a really weird position um just i guess as a club overall because you know, like we said, obviously on the pitch, they rely on Messi so much, right? But, I mean, obviously off the pitch, too. Like, if you lose Leo Messi, you lose a lot of one um, bandwagon fans like Elias. But, <laughs> but are you kidding me? Uh, I'm, I'm obviously joking. Yeah, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm, joking. Yeah. I'm joking. I'm joking. Like others. <laughs> but, but no, no. But, but, you, but 
no seriousness. You lose, you lose Messi, you lose Lionel Messi, you lose the best player in the world. So obviously that is the off the field type of thing. But they're also in this position where they have to do everything they can to appease him, right? Even if the, he and the right. president don't see eye to eye, right? Because through all of this, we also learned, well, maybe I learned, maybe Elias, you already knew about this, but he has the option to just leave in the summer on a free for like the next two years. Or yes. Has yes. he also been able to do this in the past and no one's just ever talked about it? Or is it just... Yeah, okay, so basically for context, the way that his like his contract has been structured is such that he essentially has an out pretty much for the last so I want to say like four years. But the workaround for that is he has pretty much renewed his contract before that was ever an issue in the first place. So it never really became like this. This was known to the public, but it was always whispers because he almost consistently, or really always consistently, renewed it. But now they are coming up to that period where he can leave for free if he wants. His contract still goes past that. I think it goes through the end of next. Oh, I forget if it's the end of next season or twenty twenty two. But um, it, it goes through at least bare minimum another year. But the option is there, and so that's why I think this looked a lot worse was because this was a so public and B that option existed and people seemingly became aware of it. Like, Oh, the timing is too like, what's the word convenient um, for all of this. And in my opinion, I think he stays in my opinion. I still, I, I still think this is his home, right? He's raising his kids, his, his family here. Um, it's very hard to uproot that sort of thing, regardless of who you are. You could be a superstar. You could be, you know, someone like myself. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, I think the one thing that he does want to see is a winning team, right? Built around whether it's him um, being built in general and into, into the next phase of the 2020s. He wants to see a winning project. And he said that publicly before. But right now, I don't think Barcelona have that. I think they have the chance to win the league. Um, they obviously don't have the chance to win the Copa del Rey anymore. Um, and they barely have a chance at the Champions League. So if you're Lionel Messi and you're the best player in the world and you currently have, you have what, four or five Champions Leagues, but he had four by the time he was 24. So it, it kind of puts things into perspective. Like if you had that many at 24, like you would think he would go on a tear, but he still has the same amount or maybe it's 27 but he still has the same amount since then is my point so yeah i think he wants to see things turn around and hopefully they do but it didn't help that they went out to bilbao in a last second in yaki williams header um to absolutely steal what my in my opinion was actually the best game of the season in terms of play in terms of structure in terms of the way team the team performed that was the game that i wanted to talk about in terms of expected goals rian um i think it was like 1.5 like expected goals for Barcelona and like point two. Yeah, it was like one, it was like one point. It was just about one point five three for Barcelona and zero point two three for uh, Athletic Bilbao. So, yeah, I mean, this all these last couple of weeks, I think for me has put Leo Messi on like a different on like a. Not not a bad thing. This is not going to be a bad thing. On a different plane, I think, in terms of the things off the pitch, um, in terms of how he's 
very Le- very LeBron James esque in the way he's kind of trying to not manipulate but force the hand of the executive, you know, um, executive members of Barcelona to fix what's going on on the field, right? So for context, LeBron James after his when he went back to Cleveland the second time. He basically had his contracts set up where he would always do these like two year deals, but oh, an option after the first year, I could just leave in free agency. And he, what he would do is right before that point, he would almost always just sign another whatever two year deal with the same thing. So before it even got to the opt out period, he would sign a new deal, which is very similar to what you just described with Messi, right? I- right. Same sense where LeBron James himself would put a lot of pressure on the uh, front office of the Cavaliers and the front office of any team that he's on, really, um, to fix things because I might leave. And that's the same situation that Lionel Messi finds himself in now. And it is absurd to think that Throughout this entire decade, the past decade, post Guardiola, Lionel Messi was in one Champions League final. Like that, he—that's undoubtedly, undoubtedly, um, one of the one of the top three players of all time, and. He goes, what, almost eight years? Uh, eight years and only one Champions League final. Right? So that's... Yeah. And, and we don't see them as a favorite to make it to the Champions League final this year. Like, not at all. Right? So yeah. it is... It is At that point, it's not even... You don't have to wait this long, but we know that it's been the board. The player recruitment, the lack of youth players making it through... Barcelona Academy and making a real difference in the starting 11. Um, all of that is just leading to this like period in, in his career where he's scoring and doing so much on an individual level for the team and, and many times carrying it based on just his performances. But also you'll look, we're going to look and be like, well, they didn't even, they, like they didn't even make it to the actual Champions League final for seven of these eight years, and that's just going to seem weird. And, and and forty to forty years from now, maybe for people that didn't watch um, him or Ronaldo play, and, and we were both well, yeah, yeah, of course. But and, and you know, at that point, they'll be regarded in the top again. Said like three or four uh, that we that you know the sports ever seen. We were going to look back on these like eight years where Ronaldo's at like thirty three and thirty four, thirty five, whatever past his prime. Past, I mean, their prime obviously is on another level. Their primes are like on another level compared to any other player. But making Champions League finals, winning Champions League titles after the age of thirty, and I just hope that people don't look back on this era and be like, oh, well, it's not even a contest that Ronaldo is better, right? 
that's that's the hope that I think that we don't come from this. And ultimately, I think the point I'm trying to make here is that Messi is definitely more aware of his legacy now. I think it's like what we've seen the last two weeks is someone who's more aware of his legacy and how people are going to perceive the team not doing well. The biggest thing that shows that is Abidal's comments and his reaction to it. Because Lionel Messi doesn't want to doesn't want to be seen as someone who gave up on like his manager when he did not. That's why he's that's why he's so upset. He's like, if you you can't just say this, you can't say that players quit because people are gonna look at Lionel Messi. <laughs> they're gonna look at the best player yeah. on the team. They're gonna look at the the not just the best player, but the leaders on the team. And yeah. oh well, if he's saying players quit, well, who then? Like it must have been Lionel Messi. If he's not going to say names, which is why Messi was just like, "You need to say names. You need to like show the receipts if you're going to say something like this." Right, right, exactly, exactly. That's you can't throw things around like that, you know, on a whim, right? You must have come up with that somewhere, um, and and tell the world where if you're really going to say that, but. I do agree with you in some ways. I think he's more aware of his legacy, but I think he's more aware of his, the end, right? He's more, he's more aware of retirement looming. He's more aware that this is not something that will continue forever. Um, and he doesn't want to waste that anymore, which I think is completely valid, right? That no one wants to waste their time. Um, especially for him. And so I, I get it. I get it. But, I do think in a lot of ways this team is moving in the right direction from a footballing perspective, at least. From a board perspective, we're going to have to wait until the elections come and what is supposed to be the summer of 2021. But hopefully if the, uh, if the club members get their, get their stuff together, um, we're able to put together elections uh, this summer, then that would be ideal. But I, I don't see that happening personally. So um, from a footballing perspective, I mean, we said, you know, knocked out of the Copa del Rey. Um, and I do have to say, the, the new format, so, yeah, do you know, Do you, have you heard about the new format for the Spanish Cup? No, I would, I would love for you to explain to me, Ellis. So, okay, so basically last, su- I mean last summer, last year and in years prior, it's always been two legs for pretty much every, um, every round. Right, that with no rounds being exempt from that, um, which kind of gave a little bit of favor to the bigger teams in Spain, um, just because over two legs you would take a, a better team, right? If there's a one-off, and you take the probably take the um, a, a lower chance of the bigger team going through, but over two legs, uh, talent shows through all the time, right? So what they did this year is they made every tie one leg, and I don't exactly know how they did and how they decided home or away. Um, but there was a process for that. And so they changed entirely to one leg. And, um, well, the result is, Oh my God, I can't believe I said it. The following teams in the Copa del Rey semifinal, um, Mirandes, who are not in the first division, Real Sociedad, Granada, and Atletico, Atletic Bilbao. Four teams that well, first off, the holder is not in there. Valencia gone. Um, none of the top three gone. Right. This is this is one of the best things that could have happened for Spanish football. It is 
amazing to see these teams that care so passionately about, you know, winning a trophy and being at the forefront of Spanish football that it, it just makes it so much more entertaining. It, it's about, you know what I mean? It's about what football is about, right? Like giving the chance to that, that underdog or the people that really, really want it. Like it's amazing. I, I love this new format. It's incredible to see. And I, I think they do it in, in the FA cup and the Carabao cup or whatever it is. Right. Something similar. Right. In the, uh, in the FA, the FA cup is all, all one-offs unless there's a tie and then there's the replay. Um, and, right. But it, it is, it is, I mean, great, great for the competition, but am I wrong? Is the Copa del Rey final in Spain this season? Um, I actually, uh, I don't think it is. I let me. Okay, so the the what's it called? Um, Spanish Super Cup is scheduled to pretty much be in Saudi Arabia for the next like three years. Um, but I think the Copa del Rey. Oh no no! It, it's oh. in Seville. It's in Seville. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say it's in Spain somewhere, but they're they're trying to figure out like the number of tickets designated to each club and everything still. Right. No, I mean this is. I think the reason why I was asking, I guess, about the Super Cup stuff more than anything else, is that this is going to be great. Another reason why this is great: if you have a Miranda's that wins, and then that's what goes to Saudi Arabia. Um, that's that would be I think that'd be hilarious to me, honestly. It would, it would be hilarious because Miranda's they so apparently their fans or the I think the population of the town because it is so small would be able to genuinely fit into the stadium in Seville that the final is played. And I don't know how they would do in Saudi Arabia because the there wouldn't be enough people to fill that stadium, but um, just the yeah. absolute opposite of what the Saudis wanted when when <laughs> when they paid hundreds of millions of euros for that competition yeah. for the final of that competition. I, that's why I think it'd be uh, great. It would be, it would be awesome. It would be awesome if if it's one of those teams. It would be amazing. Um, I know the first leg of the semifinals. So the semifinals are two legs. I will throw that out there. But the first leg was played today um, on. What's today? Wednesday the 12th. Uh, Bilbao beat Granada uh, 1-0. Um, and so we'll see how Mirandez and um, Real Sociedad fare tomorrow, I believe. Um, and, and wish the best of luck to both teams. I'm personally rooting for Real Sociedad because I love uh, Isak. Um, he's from of Eritrean descent as well. He's Swedish, um, of which I am I'm half. So I will be rooting for them uh, for, until, until they go out. Um, great team. Um, but we'll uh, we'll see where they go. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And I guess speaking of Sociedad's opponents in from the uh, from the Copa del Rey, who they knocked out, was the league leaders, Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah. We um we didn't even get a chance to talk about the Madrid Derby, um, which for context, Rian Rian and I, along with our friend Peter, uh, watched at specifically a Real Madrid bar. And I kind of wanted to choose a Real Madrid bar just to see what it was like again, because I went there for the first derby of the season. Um, and this one, it, it was more entertaining, for sure. Um, of course, the first one ended nil-nil, but this, this derby had chances for each team uh, to score in the first half. I, I mean, first half yeah, was very entertaining. I yeah. the first, half, yeah. first half, first half was very entertaining. First half was, 
filled with chances for both sides. And it was, you know, unfortunately for Madrid, a couple of those fell to uh, Alvaro Morata and co. But it's, <laughs> it, it, the second half was definitely a bit more of the normal proceedings in one of these Madrid derbies, right? But in the end, it was a moment of just brilliance between um, Vinicius and Ferland Mendy on the left side to get to get uh, Karim Benzema set up for a goal. And that's just what Madrid do right now is they're, there's, they find ways to win. And that's, and that definitely feels a bit more like how it was the first three seasons for Zidane, right? They were even where they, they always find a way to just win one of the big games, but they, they're finding ways to score goals late or score goals in the second half, even if they don't necessarily dominate, right? Um, they're still looking comfortable, even even in the the last 15 to 20 minutes of the Derby. They didn't look – they never felt like Atleti was really making a lot of um, progress in terms of actually getting a goal in the game. Um, at once, first, right. once the first half ended, they didn't have much – going um attacking wise in the second half so same problem yeah i mean there's not 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 much from that game changed my thoughts on atletico madrid i I, if i'm being honest that they were they're just not as good of a team (laughs) like i mean i I did their level the level is not as close as we would have thought it was at the beginning of the season and maybe would have hoped towards the teams at the top um even though I think we both could agree that the real difference between them and Barcelona in the, in that last game was Lionel Messi, but so they're just not they're not good enough to beat Real Madrid right now. Um, so nothing has changed much in that sense, but not just that game, but from this past weekend as well, and uh, obviously outside of the loss to Sociedad in the Copa del Rey, Elise, you you need to you need to just apologize and give Federico Valverde the respect that he deserves. I don't understand this. He is, he's been their best midfielder this entire season on the team that is leading the league. Like he's been their best midfielder. Have you noticed something? Have you noticed that any time that Casemiro is not on the field, that, Valverde's impact is immediately diminished. Hmm. Thought about that one. Well, interesting. Here, here's the thing, right? Valverde, like I said, is a good player. He's he's a fine player, but he's a specifically I use him for. He's a squad. He's a squad player. He's a system player. He's fine. I'm serious. He doesn't doesn't have any explicit technical ability, which is not to say that that's the only metric, but he's not technically gifted he can run a lot right he gives you a lot in terms of his his burst of energy and being able to track down the ball pretty decent passing pretty decent tackler as well he is he's a number eight like i mean he's a box box to box midfielder 
Like it just yeah. is. Like he's, but he's not. He's not. He's not extremely good. He's not that. You know, like oh my god, something. Or, I don't think he's anything specific to write home about. So, I really so don't. do you, do you think Fabinho is good? Do you think Fabinho on Liverpool is a good player because he also is not great at anything technically, but he's still a fantastic midfielder because of his stamina because of his ability to make tackles because of his ability to press and yeah generally he also fits like Valverde fits very well into Liverpool system but the player himself you know like right okay but you just you kind of made my point for me just there right Fabinho can do all those things really well and and granted I think he is a good player but if you take, like I said, Casemiro away from this Real Madrid team and put Valverde not in Casemiro's spot, but in the in his midfield position that he normally plays in, in that quote unquote eight spot, then he loses a lot of value because he needs other midfielders around him that can do the other, you know, dirty work, the the passing and the cleaning up behind him if he's going forward and stuff. And if they if the team loses that, then Valverde is extremely diminished, which is why I think he's specifically a system player. In the system that Zidane is playing right now, I think he works really well because he has Casemiro behind him, right? Because he has Isco in front of him. And if, in some cases, can have Tony Cruz and or Modric uh, side by side um, as well. So I think he's in that specific I, system. I, 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 just don't I, I, just, I just completely disagree. I don't understand. You're, you're saying, if, so okay, if Casemiro is out, then Tony Cruz is also extremely diminished in terms of his usefulness on the team. Because he doesn't play the same position as as Casemiro and can't do the same things. Like you're you're just describing that the team would be worse off if Casemiro's not in. But it doesn't mean that Valverde himself is any worse off. Like, no, okay, he, 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 the players themselves will be worse as a collective. They're going to be worse off. Everyone's going to seem a little worse without that type of player in the midfield. Sure. Right, I agree with you, but the difference is I don't think that the team it will suffer significantly if you take Casemiro off and replace him with someone else and keep Tony Cruz in there. I think t- Tony Cruz can do his job to the same ability that he would whether or not Casemiro was there. But I don't think that's the same for Valverde. That I think is the difference between a you know a great player, which I think Tony Cruz is, and just a good player. Well, you said he was fine. He's, fine. he's, yeah, a, he's, he's, he's fine. a good player. He's he's a definitely above average good player. I think he's an average player. I genuinely think he's an so average player. You don't player. think he's good? I think he's fine. I, I think he's I, wow. Okay, all right. So you, I do. You, think he, I you just don't like. Great. I just think you don't like him. I don't. I just think you don't like. I him. mean, I definitely don't. But that's not the reason. That's not the reason here. I, I will. I will say that I'm trying to be as objective as possible because I do rate a lot of Real Madrid players. Um, but he's he is unfortunately not one of them. So, but uh, you know that's Madrid for you. They're filled with uh, a variety, a mixed bag of people. So yeah, um, yeah. This has been arguably the best midfielder on the team that is leading the league. But he must be just okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that statement and uh, and the lack of sarcasm part of it. But I listen, I need a break. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about some England. We'll talk about whatever Pep Guardiola is 
turned into and all that fun stuff. Iniesta would have been a worse player without Sergio Busquets. Oh my God. I said, I said we were taking a break. All right. Goodbye. All right. It's been a, it's been a fiery debate. We uh, both clearly love Fede Valverde, um, but we, uh, we want to move to the other side of European football, if you will, and move back to the Premier League, talk a little bit of England. And uh, I, I mentioned Pep Guardiola before we, we hopped on over to the break. Um, and I'm sure, you, uh, Rian, you saw this quote this morning from Pep about him saying, like, if you took me out of City, I wouldn't be successful or something like that. Um, do, where, like, what's going on with City? Right, like we we can go back into you know midway or a quarter way through the season and talk from there, but I think this this Tottenham game really really encapsulated a lot of things for them. No, definitely. I mean that that quote from from uh, Guardiola it was it was like he'd been it was like he was literally on Reddit for the past couple of months and it's just like, Oh, well let me pick, let's just pick whatever has been the highest, whatever, whatever's been the actual highest, uh, upvoted comments in the last like three years since I've, uh, since I've joined the league from r slash soccer. Yes. Yes. Of course. He's basically just said what everyone, what everyone has been thinking for the last, uh, his career. So I think, that, that was just more of a funny kind of thing. I, I don't really believe that he's not nothing. He's not nothing without without. No, um, actually not. Yeah, he's not. He's they're not nothing. It's not like actually real. I don't think anyone actually really believes that who um, does not work for like the sun. I guess. Um, honestly, I don't. I don't know what's up with them. This game was really a microcosm of their entire season. You know, the first, what, 70, not 70 minutes, up until the red card, so 60-ish minutes. They're cruising. They should have been up probably two or three in the first half. And Tottenham played a little differently than against Liverpool. I mean, against Liverpool, they just didn't even try. But in this game, they were trying to counter, and it just, they couldn't really hold the ball long enough against Manchester City in the first half. And just as any City game goes, um, I think I might have tweeted at halftime something like, um, this game is perfectly set up for the classic like City getting absolute kicked in the dick for a goal. And that is... I love that phrase. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what happens to them in these games. It's just... I know, I know. It's a sucker punch. It's a sucker punch whatever you want to call it, um, they just end up getting surprised out of nowhere for a goal. And in this situation, it was really surprised out of nowhere for a second yellow card. And um, now they're down to 10 men. You know, we didn't even get onto the VAR stuff in this game. Do you even have that's a, it's all like its own its own thing. That like it's it's a big part of it, but there were so many other things wrong with this city performance that it's is it even worth it? 
Oh no, no, it's it's definitely worth it. No, um, <laughs> I mean the it, the penalty. Just rolling it back. I know this is a couple weeks ago now, but you obviously you have the penalty where Raheem Sterling gets saved by um, by no, well, yeah, Lloris. This was one of Lloris's first games back, and through all of this. We have four VAR decisions that end up really defining this game. It's the penalty there. It's the no call on Hugo Lloris after the penalty where he may or may not have actually fouled Raheem Sterling. But, you know, it was, it was kind of testy in the first place. Anyway, you follow that up with now you have Alexander Kolarov who <laughs> – ends up getting sent off um, in the second half. And it just opened up the chance for Manchester City to get surprised again by Tottenham and to end up having something like 40-something shots against Tottenham this season combined and scoring on only two of them. And Tottenham have five shots on target through two games against Manchester City this season and have scored on four of them. Um, these two teams don't play normal games. I think that's (laughs) just what we have to put this, chalk this up to. I I know that Manchester City have had some disappointing performances this season, but they don't play normal games against Tottenham, like like just ever at this point. So I agree. I agree. So these games always feel very weird. You have to um put on note that you know Bergwijn Bergwijn scores his in his debut on the, I mean the goal he scored was was unreal the volley from the chest and he was like kind of squatting as he chested it down to himself and it just perfectly volleys it into into the like right corner of the right lower corner of the goal and then you know whatever son goes on scores and and they and they come out of this in a game where they where Tottenham really in the end got extremely lucky for sure and that was kind of the only way they were going to win this game but I don't know there's I don't know I don't know what more to say about this Manchester City team this season um they're not showing up I think that's a very straightforward way of putting it quite frankly yeah and and I wonder how much of this is going to spill over into the Champions League because I would say now that tie with Real Madrid, which in the beginning of December, we looked back and I think we both would have felt that Manchester City were favored in this, in this tie. But, yeah. But since then, I mean, Talk about a 180. I mean, well, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if it's been like a 180, but necessarily, but just Real Madrid have gotten better and Manchester City have not pretty much. They haven't shown anything like anything too different. It should be said that for whatever reason, America Laporte did not start against Tottenham, even though he had started the week before in the FA Cup game. So they were again forced to play Odomendi. And as one of our friends said very well, Odomendi is pretty much a cheat code for the other team. So <laughs> it, it, it's it's not false. So 
No, it's not. <laughs> so, so the only difference in Manchester City since that time is that Laporte has come back. Um, and Leroy, Leroy Sané has started training again. So he might be a factor, most likely coming off the bench in, in those ties. Meanwhile, Real Madrid have firmly put themselves in as, as the front runners to win in Spain this season and have kind of stabilized and look very good without their main signing from last summer being M. Hazard. Yeah, that's what's crazy about this is that I think you highlighted it perfectly with the change in attitude towards City and Real Madrid about two months ago. Right, we all kind of thought City were the favorites in this tie, and I—I I mean, it's tipped very heavily in favor of Madrid now. Um, I still rate City; I think everyone does. But compared to where they were, it's very hard to say that they haven't progressed. It's—it's it's hard to say that they have progressed. Excuse me. Um, I think they've done everything practically but that, and so I think that's a huge reason why people are looking at this in completely different lenses. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is not to say that I think that um that Manchester City can't still win that tie. I I, I just think it went from Manchester City Manchester City being a slight but I think objective favorite when this tie first came out to now Real Madrid being a probably slight but still, you know, objective favorite for this for this tie. I, I still think I think this tie has actually become more entertaining because of the level that we've seen Real Madrid get to um, without who we, the player that we expect to be their best player um, for most of the season. Right. So um, I, I, think that, I, I think that tie just gotten more interesting, more, very, more, more entertaining or more. Um, yeah. I think just more entertaining storylines going into it now, because now this is all that matters for Manchester city and what looked like it might've been a bit of a lucky draw to get Real Madrid in this sort of like transition season is now looking like our season effectively could be over in the middle of March and we have nothing to show for it. (laughs) Yep. I mean, that's kind of where they've left themselves and I don't think they have themselves to blame in the league. Quite frankly, this is like, I don't think anyone's going to blame them there, but they have shot themselves in the foot so many times this year that it, it's it's ba- genuinely baffling at how how much they've they've done that and at the end of the day when they look back at this season in the league it's hard to say it was a failure because they still are second well actually wait no i lied they're third right no they're still second they're still pretty firmly pretty firmly okay. second um they they don't have much of a chance of not finishing Right, right. So, I mean, that's my point, right? Like, it's hard to compete with a team that's perfect practically throughout the entire year. Um, so in the league, I don't think they can view it as a complete disaster or a huge failure. But in other areas, they're hedging a lot of bets on the Champions League and what is left of their cup games. Um, I mean, they've been forced it, to. I mean, really, because of because of Liverpool's um, just refusal to lose – and well, there's a, there's a difference between between being forced to right by Liverpool in the sense that this is 
like something they have to win versus something they can win. And that being the champions league, right? I don't think anyone is going to put a bunch of money on city right now to win the champions league. Right. But if they were doing this poorly relative to Liverpool in the league while still playing very well and getting consistent results, I don't think anyone would say, okay, the champions league is out of reach. They would say, well, now they have to go on and win the champions league. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, that makes absolute sense. You're right because you know it's okay to not be within like six or seven points of Liverpool right now. I mean, that would be that that would mean that you had 67, 68 points after twenty five games, which is just not realistic whatsoever. Um, but in a, but like you're saying, in another world, they should never be twenty two points off of them. Um, Right. We'd, we'd be thinking very differently if they were scoring at a, at a high clip. They are scoring at a high clip. They're still leading the league in, in goals. But if they were scoring at a more consistent clip because they seem like they create more chances than anyone else, including the league leaders in England, it seems like they, it seems like Manchester City creates the most chances of just about any team in Europe. But they don't finish a lot of them. And that's why we're now going into this Madrid game thinking, why, why should we believe that they're going to all of a sudden now finish these chances, be more clinical and, you know, just in general, be more direct when they get to like close to the goal. Right. Um, There's no reason for us to think that they're going to somehow just start putting these chances away against much better competition in Real Madrid. No, yeah, that's that's the difficult part is that they're going to keep seeing the same problems that they've they've had all season, right? Actually, this has been a problem for more than just this season. So, I don't see a situation in which that goes away against what has objectively been the best defense in La Liga this year. But I I I guess focusing more so on kind of like the other teams in in England, like how how do City kind of match up against, well, let's take Chelsea, for example. Let's take Leicester, the rest of the top four. Like, where where are the other teams relative to City? Do you still think it's a conversation of Liverpool and City as the top two dogs and then, you know, everyone else pretty much below them? Because they're closer to Leicester and Chelsea than they are to Liverpool, obviously. No, of course. Um, and, and, le- and I know Leicester are only two points off of Manchester City. Um, I, I, I still feel that it's still, I guess, more of a feeling than anything else that I, I think that Manchester City will finish second fairly comfortably. But no, you have them compared to Le- Le- Leicester and Chelsea. The eye test will tell you that they're levels above those two teams. Like they should be 10 points up on, um, ahead of Chelsea, right? Which they are. And, but they should be much further ahead of Leicester, too, just from watching Leicester. And more, really, from watching Leicester and Chelsea play that same weekend, two weeks ago, that finished 2-2, and it seemed like, the, and it seemed like they were very, very even teams. Um, really on par, the first half, Chelsea probably should have scored, Probably should have scored at least one, maybe two, with a similar problem. They couldn't finish one-on-ones. They couldn't quite get the final ball right. 
And so they go into half zero zero. They score. Antonio Rudiger scores very early in the second half, but the second half, Leicester's a better team. And at the end, Leicester has a couple chances to actually probably win that game. But it's a game of two halves for each team, really. And yeah. it just kind of underpinned that they're they're very, very even right now. And neither of them feel like they're anywhere close to Liverpool. And neither of them feel like they're talent-wise anywhere close to Manchester City. So it leaves this whole top four slash just from third through basically ninth is such a weird kind of uh, mix of teams there for England. So you have Leicester in third with 49 points. Chelsea are eight points off of Leicester sitting with 41. And then from there, there's a five, six point difference between fourth and ninth. Chelsea on 41, Sheffield United. Yeah, Sheffield United at 39. Tottenham on 37. They're, they're a game behind um, Sheffield United. Sheffield has played 26 games and Tottenham have played 25. But then Everton at 36, Man United at 25 with a game in hand on Everton, and then Wolves at 35 points. So that whole middle of mid to high tier teams in England for this season seem like they're really not too far off from each other, which is correct. And it's why City and Liverpool feel like a million miles away from everyone else. And Liverpool have actually been showing it on the field. Manchester City have not. And that's been the most disappointing. I think they've been the most disappointing team in terms of just on field, in terms of just on field results, not, not necessarily performances, but results. They've probably been the most disappointing top level Lester? club. No, uh, Manchester City. Oh, so, yes, I agree. I think they've been the most, I think they've been the most disappointing because it doesn't feel like they should be as close to third and fourth place as they are right now. And looking at how those two teams played against each other, those third and fourth place teams played against each other, they don't look like they should be that close to the, to second place either. So it's, it's just been such a weird transition season, I think for a lot of Europe, but for England, especially that, makes it look even worse, I think, for Manchester City to have six losses already through 25 games. That's- yeah. No, I, I honestly, like, I would like to add something, but <laughs> but I think you said that perfectly. I think City have, like I said this at the beginning, right? They just have not shown up with the talent that they have. And at the end of the day, that falls on, the, the number one person in charge, right? I hate to say it, but it does fall on Pep. Um, and to get your players to play at the level that they did is a manager's responsibility. To some degree, it falls on the players for not performing too. But at the end of the day, the manager is the one responsible for the team. And it's a shame that he can't get it done right now. I genuinely wonder how long he will stay at, at City, though, before he calls it quits. I think next year could very well be his last year at City. I'd be very surprised to see him pass that. Yeah, and I think I'd agree with you too. But, I mean, this is what comes with the territory. He very deservedly get the praise 
after the 100-point season, after following that season up with another um, title-winning season, he deserved the praise for that. And that's, and that's what comes with being, I guess, Amander at his, at his level, at the top level for sure, but, but at his reputation especially because of his past and because of how public he is with the way he sees the game and the, and how public he is with his reactions to specific um, results and being questioned as he, as he is at times. Um, it's what comes with the territory, right? He, he is going to get bashed for this season if they end up completely losing the title, like mathematically losing the title in like the end of March and the same time not winning the Champions League. He, we all know what the goal is for this team now with Pep Guardiola. That, that's what it was more or less when he came. And once that they established that they could do this style of play in England, that they could dominate with this style of play in England, now there's only one objective for this team. And and we'll get we'll talk a bit more I think when we do a proper preview for the round of sixteen. But Manchester City are now in this spot in which they were when which Chelsea were at during the let's say basically the two thousand seven to two thousand twelve until they finally won the Champions League um, years of the of the Abramovich era where we know that you can do it and do it very convincingly in your domestic league. Now with all the money that's being spent, this money's not being spent to win domestic leagues anymore, to win domestic trophies. It's very obvious. And now every season it's riding on this one competition. And these games are going to mean more than any other games in your season. And so the disappointment will be even greater and almost not even matter where you finish in the league compared to it. And that, and that's just where they're going to be judged now. And I, I agree. I just, I, I don't think it's a, in some ways a fair standard, right? Like it's, it's easier to win, you know, a, a title over 30 something games than it is over 12, if you will. Right. Like I'm just saying for numbers sake, it, it's, it is, genuinely easier you have more time with it etc but it's hard at the same time it's harder right yeah in some ways it is but just imagine the pressure on a group of individuals what it's the round of 16 now so they have two in the round of 16 two in the quarters two in the final or oh my god the the semifinals and then one final so they have seven games to win one title and if they lose out on any of those ties they're done right that this whole it almost feels like this whole project is a failure if they don't do that which i obviously don't think is the case but it's all it's a lot it's they're in a very very i don't want to say bad position just unfortunate position yeah i mean it's i don't know if i want to say unfortunate because this is what happens with a club that comes to notoriety for the reasons that they did, right? When when you have an owner come in and 
just, you know, stuff, stuff your face with money and, you know, make the team much better because of it. And that's why I try to compare them to Chelsea because they don't have the rich history to be able to be like, oh, I mean, it would be great to win this competition, but historically we've been great at winning X, right? So that's just that's just a position that they're in now because of the money that they spend and, and because of the type of reputation that they have. Right, right. I think that is – no, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's that's kind of on point as well. Um just, just like for example, like, like, I mean, yes, we go into every, you go into every season for Barcelona. I mean, the Champions League is the, is the most important competition. Yes. But there's not, unlike uh, Barcelona, unlike Manchester City, there's not like decades and decades of history of, of winning, yeah. of maybe of not just winning the European Cup, but like winning other titles and having these legendary players and legendary coaches, you know, like these other big teams do. Like, you know, when you look at like an Arsenal or, or, um, or Liverpool, you know, or Manchester United, like any of them not winning the Champions League is not the end of the world because there's so much history already on those teams. Like that's just where Manchester City are at right now until they win the Champions League, they will always be seen basically on the same level as PSG, which is which fair or unfair as that is, but you're on the same level until you win the Champions League. And then you're put into this, then you're put into this kind of level with media where now you're like one of kind of one of the old boys, right? Just because you, you're now on the same level as them. Just because you win a certain competition. Again, right. fair or unfair, as, as it might be. <laughs> but but it just, it's just how it is, you know? Right. No, like, I agree. I, I completely agree. I think um, – I, I don't want to spend too much more time on it, but I, I think that you're – you're pretty much spot on in, in saying that, that the history is a, is a big part of the conversation. Um, but their history is really being found in the last essentially 15 years. Um, even though they have, have been around for much longer, but yeah, in terms of rich history. Yeah, I think I agree with you, but let's, um, let's go ahead and gosh, you want, you want to take a break or do you want to, um, do you want to move on here? What what else do we have on our in our notes here? I believe the last thing we've got here is a little roundup of uh, of how the English transfer window ended. Ah, uh, yes the uh, the infamous big signings of Bruno Fernandez and Igalo. Yes, yes. So <laughs> so um, just to run through these quickly, we for the top teams, obviously we saw um, seven. Bergvine from PSV go to Tottenham and score on his debut. Uh, some of the other notable names that we saw, we saw Arsenal go and get a center back for 5 million pounds, which was interesting. Uh, but they got him from, from Flamengo, Pablo Mari. Uh, I think I also may have said this on Twitter that 
it is becoming a bit of a trend in the last few windows that Arsenal has been really just looking for bargains and discounts for center-back signings, which is not really the position that you should be doing that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Nice, you're on the top. It is quite as... Well, well, what? Is that... I I don't know. I don't even know what that means. Who are your center-backs? Who are center-backs? I mean, Chelsea didn't spend... (laughs) Chelsea didn't go to... um, any team that did, they didn't go to, like, uh, God, I don't even remember where they got rid of Roma. They didn't go to Roma and um, try to barter with them using some lint that they found in their freaking pocket, <laughs> uh, stapler that they had in their backpack, and um, 14 Costco coupons to try to make a deal. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I would really like to imagine that they did. Now that you say it, <laughs> my, my, the point I'm trying to make here is: it's a very interesting strategy to be going and looking for bargains at center back when that is your most obvious glaring weakness in your entire team. So uh, right. I don't know. It would it would be like um, Atletico Madrid going to uh, China and calling up uh, Shenhua, asking them about a player named uh, Odian Igalo, asking and uh, trying to fix their striker problems by doing a loan with an obligation to buy. I mean, only, only a team with absolutely no direction in transfer business would even consider doing that. Oh, wait. Uh, I think we know at least one in England. Um <laughs> At least that's I say at least one. There's there's probably there's a definitely more. But the biggest transfer of the January window for England was not Bruno Fernandez, no. It was Odian Igalo, the Nigerian international who came who was coming over from China, um Maybe, maybe not carrying the coronavirus that is still left to be <laughs> um, found out. But he, I think, Ellis, you were telling me that he actually had to be away from the team for a couple, for a, a bit of a uh, period, right? Yeah, I, I was reading today that, so the, so my understanding is that the quarantine period for coronavirus is 14 days. So they have, I don't think they've quarantined him specifically because he hasn't shown symptoms or anything, but he is, they have kept him specifically away from the training ground until that quarantine period is has elapsed. Um, and so I actually, I don't even think he's been allowed to train with his teammates yet. Right, so... Perfect. Once again, United strikes again with uh, just yeah, it, it's he'll, a seemingly useful transfer, right? I just want to look at his transfer history here. Um, so, do you even get a pick on him, are you? In, in 2013, 2013, Igalo moves from uh, Udinese in Serie A to Granada in Spain, 2013. And I'll just read out the history from there. A loan deal from Udinese to Granada. He signs at the end of that loan. Granada to Watford. Watford to Udinese again. Udinese back to Watford after a loan. (laughs) Watford to 
uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but China. And, <laughs> and from that team to Shanghai Shenhua, and from Shanghai Shenhua to oh, we got that one, right? United. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure what the expectations are from the Manchester United board from Ed Woodward, I guess, is he, cause since he's the one actually making these transfers, but I guess it's not too far off from, you know, them signing Radamel Falcao after he was completely washed a few years ago. And then um, obviously Chelsea following that up by loaning said washed striker <laughs> <laughs> um, to no avail. But I don't. I, you look at this, and then you look at Rama Lukaku, who's just scoring for fun in Italy um, with Inter, and it, probably change of system was really the difference for um, Rama Lukaku, or more likely just not being in Manchester United has helped every player who's actually good that has left them. The last couple of years, I just I'm not sure what they're expecting from this from this signing. Um, other than they were totally desperate and couldn't get anything else done. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. So <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know what they're expecting. Yeah, they're not yeah. clearly not planning. So, like, what, genuinely, what else were they expecting? Yeah, I almost feel bad for them because it was like. No Rashford means that their only other option up top was I actually don't know Jesse Lingard. Actually, actually was I mean I think I think he actually kind of did play not, not as a false nine but stop it, I don't think he meant, knows what that means it meant it, but basically Rashford being out meant that they kind of had to play Lingard more so. I don't even know, man. They're, they're so lost. I mean, I'm so lost with them. I think they're pretty lost. Another team just in complete transition, but... I agree. I completely uh, agree. Yeah. Well, they... Pog, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know what to say anymore. Like, Pogba's still not playing. They're so baffling. Like, they're such, they're such a baffling club right now. Very unfair. Hey, at least they have a great defense, right? The the defense is their only redeeming quality. It's their only redeeming quality. <laughs> I mean, you're not, in some ways you're really not wrong, um, but that doesn't mean that they have any other redeeming qualities. Quite frankly, no, exactly. Yeah, the defending is the only thing that they look like they actually practice doing. Uh, even then, I think that's like stretching it. <laughs> like, ah, don't even know if they do that. I think it's. I think it's Harry Maguire and friends. No, oh no, come on. No, we're not doing this again. Dude. The, the defending <laughs> is actually still above average. They're I know, I know, I know. Quite above I agree. average. Okay. But I do like giving you crap about it. It's much more fun. It's, okay. It's it's not their center back's <laughs> fault that everyone up top looks like they're being coached by um twelve year old suburban dads. Okay, like Suburban dads, suburban dads <laughs> with their twelve-year-old on their te- on their travel team. Like that's oh, I would, what it looks like. I would genuinely pay good money to see our dads coach this team. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. I mean, the attacking couldn't be much worse. Really, when you think about it, the attack could not be that much worse. 
please be careful what you wish for. How much worse could they could your dad make Jesse Lingard as a player? Honestly. Oh my no, my dad would would genuinely whip him. Like my dad would be dragged from the grounds to the nearest Manchester jail. Um and that's how he would he would get away with things. So, but yeah. <laughs> he couldn't make Jesse Lingard any worse. No, I agree. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's coach, fair. As a coach. Yeah, yeah, agreed. 100%. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like to talk about things that depress me. Long, so. Dude, you're talking, uh, you're talking about some quality, but no, I'm sorry. I can't even get that out. Sorry. Sorry, I don't want to lie. But no, yeah, I don't want to either. Honestly, I think we're, we're pretty much wrapped up whatever is left of the transfer window in England from the past, uh, I guess, last month, not the past month but you know what i mean so with that i think we'll go ahead and and close things out and uh we'll be back very soon hopefully instead of in two weeks again uh with some more on european football and we'll talk a little more uh maybe some germany as well after that Bayern leipzig game but we'll be back in the very near future stick around guys talk to you later thanks guys